0: Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Alyssa Clark, and I will be your host today. I am super excited to welcome RD Rebecca Dent to the podcast to discuss our most pressing questions on trail running and nutrition. Thanks
1: for being on. Thanks, Alyssa. Um, I'm equally super excited to be talking to you here at Uphill Athlete today about one of my favorite topics, trail and ultra running race nutrition strategy. So hopefully listeners today will get some easy to put into practice, takeaway strategies that they can start using um, and that will translate into a better race performance, whether that's helping them cross the finish line faster or even just simply enjoying the race more and also just helping people prevent and reduce stomach issues. So yeah, let's um, help set some PBs today. I love it. And I can already
0: say that um, when we do training groups and Um, have Q&A sessions that Rebecca is our most sought after guest, because I think nutrition really is one of the giant question marks, I think, in so many people's minds with training. And I think often, and I can speak to this, is the low hanging fruit in many ways of people's Racing, where it's like if I, I always feel like if I could just figure out my nutrition, I would nail this, or I would be so much better. And so it's awesome to have you on to give us that those practical ways that we can achieve that. Um, But first, before we dive into that, can you tell us about yourself, your background in sport? uh how you became an rd for endurance athletes because you're such a it's like you're an rd but you're the most interesting niche i think of of being an rd so love to hear your background
1: yeah i mean kind of a bit about me i've been a dietitian for um just over 20 years and kind of early in my career i specialized working in weight management and behavior change in the u.s in the nhs in the uk And then I moved on to specialise in sports nutrition. I kind of knew from the age of 15 I always wanted to do sports nutrition, so kind of made a decision quite early on in life. And so then my first job working for a sporting institute was with Olympic athletes towards the Vancouver Winter Olympics in 2010. And then because of my own personal love for the outdoors, And mountain sports after a few years, I left this role and started working for myself with trail and ultra endurance athletes. And then along with that, um, I was supporting the GB climbing team, which then led me to working with GB climber Shauna Coxie to the Tokyo Olympics in 2021. So then in 2016, um, kind of a bit before that, we moved to the Chamonix Valley from the UK. My husband's an uh, IFMDA mountain guide, so it just made sense that we moved to the mountains. And then this just fueled my passion and desire to specialise in working with ultra-endurance and mountain sports athletes even more. You're kind of living in the environment as well as then having the opportunity to embrace it and work in that environment And at that time, that's when I reached out to Steve here at Uphel Athlete to be part of this awesome team of coaches. And it's just progressed from there.
0: That's amazing. Okay. I mean, holy crap. I didn't know your husband was a a pin guide. That's so cool. I, wow, that's like a whole other, I mean, wow, power couple. Um, So many other questions about the two of you, but we'll get there. Um, We'll get back there. Wow. That's amazing. So just I uh, thought I knew quite a bit about you. And now, wow, every time learning something new. Um, So that's awesome. So how, as you're getting an athlete, you're thinking about a race, how are you coming up with a race nutrition strategy for an athlete? And what are some of these key considerations an athlete should have when they're devising this strategy?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is... One of the part of the reasons why I just love working with athletes. I mean, we're all unique in our own individual nutritional needs, and then you take into account the training plan, and then the nutritional challenges that that individual might. How have and then we're having to then look at um, the race itself in each trail and ultra race is different. There's no defined standard of how each of these races would look. They're all completely different. So I really enjoy helping athletes figure out what's right for them, helping to make sense of nutrition and just like I said, really problem solving the nutritional challenge challenges so they can really transform their race experience. So I first start by asking a lot of questions. So it's kind of digging a bit deep to determine kind of previous race experience, um, nutrition, foods, fluids or sports products used and tolerated or not tolerated in training and in races how much the athlete has managed to eat in previous races or is consuming during training history of stomach issues in race and also day-to-day stomach issue occurrences can be relevant and then i zoom in on the specific race so then we start to talk through and look at distance duration desired time to complete location weather terrain ascent descent time between aid stations aid station provision so there's quite a lot to consider and factor in whilst also kind of um, looking at the individual But is in front of you in terms of um, their needs as well and then I start to lay it all out from there having gathered all of that information and done a bit of fact finding Um, I then start to lay it out looking at carbohydrate goal intake per hour fluid intake goal per hour and sodium intake goal per hour and this is all going to change throughout the race depending on all of the factors that I've mentioned.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's so similar to how you would go about setting up a training plan. Um, I think that sometimes people think nutrition is throwing darts at a wall, and it's not at all that. It's very similar to, okay, we start kind of the general gathering of information, the general plan, and then you go really specific to the event that you're doing and, and dial it in. So that's, that's awesome to hear kind of that process and just how similar it is to exactly what we do when we're prepping like our legs for a race
1: yeah yeah and it's it's great because again people choose to eat different things they choose um to have they have different taste preferences things that will go down um so it's really quite a fun thing to do I just love helping people plan for the race because I almost feel like I'm doing it with them when we walk it through when we chat through um their nutrition needs and I'm always amazed as well actually how many people don't necessarily go through that process I think with many athletes that I work with or I start to work with who come to me that i'm just like, "Well, what do you do?" and they're like, "Well, I just kind of um figure it out, take what I probably would eat during training and what maybe somebody else has told me to do and what I've seen other people doing, and just go for it and interestingly, you know some people can get away with that and potentially finish the race, but I would always um suggest that if you're planning and practicing your nutrition and hydration strategy and you have it dialed you can do all of those things um enjoy the race finish faster you know um it will really kind of enhance your race performance for sure by really dialing in specifically your needs
0: oh it makes total sense i mean you wouldn't Well, we've all done this to a certain extent, but it's like showing up to a race start, like a race start line and going, I don't really know the distance. I don't really know what shoes I'm going to wear. You know, I don't know if I've ever practiced these hills. I think it's it's you know, it's essentially doing that. And I don't think most people would do that. Sometimes people do. But for the most part, you try not to. Um, So how do you like develop the strategy in actual training um, and how does an athlete test this strategy or how do you have your athletes test the strategies um, in the training process? So before we're getting to the start line.
1: Yeah. So kind of just um, before that, there's kind of some general kind of um, starting pointers, race nutrition strategies for those listening that want to kind of really knuckle down and, and really make sure they're planned and prepared for their next Race. So, if you're looking at single-day events, you really want to rely primarily on carbohydrate as your main fuel source. So, when we see um, if you're elite competitive a- athlete who really wants to race well and um, and be kind of in the top ten, top twenty or so, then you want to be aiming for around ninety grams of carbohydrate up to one hundred and twenty grams of carbohydrate per hour. So, you're looking at three hundred and sixty to four hundred and eighty calories per hour, and that primarily comes from sports drinks gels and for the athletes that I'm supporting the elite ultra runners you know they're consuming 500 mils of a sports drink along with one or two gels per hour um, and that's giving them their 90 to 120 grams of carbohydrate. so to, in these days I think we're, it's quite um, it's really good because sports products or sports companies are getting a bit savvier with putting more carbohydrate in smaller volumes, which is then easier to carry, potentially easier to take on board. I know we're coming on to stomach issues, but um, you can consume these larger amounts in smaller volumes, which then it makes it a bit more practical practical for all these faster runners who want to race well but also not be loaded up with as many gels and that will weigh them down and then if you're a recreational runner so the, the the rest of us at the back of the pack you kind of really want to be looking at around 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour but if you feel like you really want to race this and you're a good, Culture runner, then you're looking between 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour, um, and that again is a mix of sports drinks, bars, chews, gels, real foods, and other fluids. So, potentially, recreational runners, you know, we're not running as fast, um, and we're gonna it's gonna take us a longer amount of time to finish that race. So, we have then the opportunity to use other types of sources like bars, real foods, and other fluids, and not necessarily just have to rely on those sports drinks interestingly what we're seeing is that faster finishers are consuming more calories those that dnf consume less calories per hour compared to those that are finishing so those are that are DNFing, if you're looking at their nutrition intake per hour, they tend to be um, consuming under 200 calories per hour. So it really is about getting on board that energy and fueling well. Um, all of the runners that do finish eat and drink to at least the minimum recommendations of carbohydrate and fluid requirements that we're touching on. And we're going to go on, I know, to talk about fluid. Um, Interestingly, the research suggests for the elite runners that they are consuming, um, people like yourself, Elisa, are consuming around 70 grams of carbohydrate per hour. But what I am seeing in the field and with ultra runners and what we're hearing reportedly, I guess, on Instagram and other social media outlets is that elite runners are consuming around 90 to 95 grams of carbohydrate per hour on average in a you know, a a hundred mile race and then up to 120 and reportedly 130 grams of carbohydrate per hour. I mean, I've had elite ultra runners who potentially you know haven't practiced their um fueling in race and then you start to introduce more carbohydrate and they're reporting they feel like they've got more energy they feel like they can run faster you know they feel like they're performing better and they feel like they're recovering um better um after races so it really does pay to kind of get the carbohydrate in but then obviously practicing that and nailing your nutrition strategy before you stand on that start line
0: No, that's fantastic. And I've also seen that as well. And am honestly just genuinely impressed of being able to get that in. It's amazing. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it it really is. I mean, that's a a feat in itself. Um, But I actually had two somewhat follow-up questions to that. Um, I guess the first, and this is selfish because I am headed into a multi-day stage race. What does that look like? Uh, as you're preparing an athlete, because obviously you're keeping up the carbohydrates, but your needs are um, a bit different, I think, um, as you're doing the multi-day because there's just this kind of collective demand. So I'd love to hear what that looks like um, if you are going past the kind of that 24-ish, 30-hour range.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, it's, I guess, some It's incredible, people that want to do the multi-stage um, events. And then also it's kind of a, a nutrition feat in itself, trying to actually plan your nutrition for that, your crew support, everything else. So it's, again, another impressive feat to do these stage races and, and finish them. So single-stage races, as I said, kind of primarily relying on carbohydrate as a fuel source for sports drinks, gels, foods, fuels, food chews, waffles, some real food options, Um that I can give examples for but then the multi-stage day event you know you are aiming for around 200 to 400 calories per hour primarily using carbohydrate as we've said as a fuel source but then you can bring in a mix of fats and proteins for calories for flavor change um for just something different to eat more variety and options and then obviously adding in the protein for that daily recovery because you're out there um doing um you're running you know for long hours um, days on end potentially if it's a stage race with sleep um, or if it's just a continuous race like the tour de gion where you just have to sleep where you lie so you know it's just it then becomes about not only getting the carbohydrate in but the research shown to be successful or to finish these events you also then want to focus on making sure you can maximize the calories at all times and then if you're moving for four five six days you're going to want to eat a warm meal you're going to want to eat something solid you're going to want to have something that's you know familiar to you and you're going to be moving at slower intensities as well so then you have the opportunity to eat more real food options and then also you might have you might plan to spend longer at aid stations or with your crew support to then give you time to eat. more food or meal real food rather than just the sports drinks and bars.
0: Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I uh, am always very impressed. Like Brian, uh, one of the other coaches, he can eat like a hamburger at an eight station, which I just absolutely blows my mind. I'm sure it's great to be able to get in, you know, that really big calorie dense meal <laughs> while you're doing 200s. I have never had that uh, success or ability, uh, but no, that's great. I think, yeah, you really start craving more variety in what you're eating. Yeah.
1: Savory foods. And yeah, I mean, I've been at aid stations and seen all sorts: Sushi, picnics, pizzas, like people cooking noodles, bowls of cereal. Like you just see it all, um, which is amazing. You know, I love to see people eating. So it's fantastic um, to stand at a aid station to see people tucking into these variety of foods. Um,
0: I feel like it would be so. This is a, a tiny tangent. Hopefully, um, it would be so cool to do a study or or just kind of do a survey of traveling the world, looking at aid stations and seeing like what do people? I mean, Hawaii is so much different from California, so much, which is you know still in the United States, so much different from Europe to Japan. You know, that would be wow, that would be really cool.
1: Yeah. Do you get fries you. and hot dogs in the U.S. or? <laughs> Or do you get um, cheese and meats in the French Alps? You know, and it's, you know, it's probably not that far off. You know, I have have heard reports of races in the US where you're getting fries and burgers, like you've just said. And, you know, those classic, well, classic types of foods, isn't it? And then in the, the Alps, you are getting, you know, beets and cheeses and there's obviously fruits and dried fruits and nuts and sweets and soups and bouillon and pasta and fries and um, a real mixed bag but yeah it'd be interesting to go around the different countries and and map them out yeah
0: um that sounds like a fun grant of some you can kind. pick your
1: race based on your food preference yes you know what country you would like to go in and what you know what um, ideal food you'd like to eat during a race
0: Definitely, which I think leads to the point of knowing what aid stations have offered. um, Because I think sometimes people just go in and they're like, oh, they don't have that. Or they try, you know, it's the first time traveling and they're like, oh, in Europe, actually, it is meats and cheeses and they don't have a hamburger. And you're like, correct. This is so I think that's just a great tip to people. It's like, look up what aid stations are serving and if it works for you.
1: I mean, I think that's one of the, yeah one of the common mistakes that that i've seen is that kind of if you're looking at elite runners they tend to have you know on course the sports drinks the gels you know the nutrition strategy dialed and as they're coming into aid stations potentially not spending a lot of time in the aid stations and potentially having their own real food options because you know maybe they're hungry they want to cleanse their palate they just want a flavor change or they just want some solids in their food so we're Potentially elite athletes would choose their own foods, whether that's a pizza, some pasta, a sandwich, some bread of potatoes, you know biscuits with soup, whatever variety that is. And I certainly think that recreational runners. Um, definitely it would benefit from looking at aid stations and then testing all of that out in training so just working through the lists that you see on race websites to look at right would I eat this would I eat this would I eat this would I eat this would I drink any of this and then cross out all of the ones you think not and then test all out the ones you think you'd be tempted for um, during your long training sessions when you're training but yeah it's one of the things I think we can get distracted by you feel like you come in in and there's this huge potentially a fantastic array depending what race you do of foods available and you're like wow um, and that's maybe when we can come unstuck and come undone we get distracted or we choose something we haven't necessarily tried before and then um, it has a influence on our stomach or just how we feel
0: definitely and that actually by my one last question before we kind of get back to actually gut training, um, is that how do you handle when an athlete says, and you know, this is a, I, I think a very relevant issue, Hey, I can't afford to train with all of the nutrition that, um, I need for a race because sports nutrition can get very expensive. How do you handle like, Hey, you do need to practice some, but like, where is that balance that you find working with athletes um, from an economic standpoint?
1: It's a good question. And it's a tricky one. Um, My first argument would be you've invested so much time, money and effort in the race and the kit traveling to the race, um, race entry, Time in training that actually by investing in the products that you're going to use in the race to practice with during your training is worth every penny, but I also appreciate it can be very costly. So the idea would be then to maybe choose, you know, the three months prior to a race or once a month um, in one of your long runs, you then use the sports products that you're going to use in your race. I am um, with. Kind of gut training and getting used to eating on the go and um, carbohydrate tolerance. You can use other options, or you can use cheaper products that potentially do the same thing. But so then you can kind of spread out the testing of the actual products that you're going to be using in the race. But yeah, ideally where you can practice as much as you can with what you're going to use. But in training, you can use carbohydrate in different forms that we can talk about that will still encourage gut training and get you used to eating carbohydrate on the go
0: i think that's great yeah i i kind of say it's like look it's really important like you wouldn't buy the cheapest pair of shoes you you buy the shoes that work for you um but i do i do hear that often of like oh i can't train with that I save it for the race and it's like ah. but then you've never tested it
1: yeah yeah and that's tricky as well I mean that's off that's tricky because it's just like well how do you know that that's going to go down at that time and day how do you know when you get this far into the race that you're going to be able to consume this so it's still really encouraging everyone to practice as often as they can as practically possible with their race nutrition strategy in training that they're going to use in the race Definitely.
0: Well, you've already touched on this, or um, you brought up the the term, but one of the um, key considerations, or I guess key things that we should be training is something called gut training. So can you explain what gut training is? Because I'm not sure everyone probably knows um, that term, and then how we go about that when we are in our training sessions.
1: So you, there's kind of two ideas i think um around gut training so there are the defined research based gut training strategies that have been tried and tested with in the research to show that they will help improve your tolerance of taking on board greater amounts of both fluid and carbohydrate per hour in your race to then ensure um regular fueling but also preventing and alleviating stomach issues during a race so you have kind of the research defined gut training strategies but then you also have what i would say are probably the two most important gut training strategies of all of the hundreds of athletes that i've worked out worked with that will probably do the job before you even have to go on to any of those research-based ones is um Fuel your training sessions with carbohydrate and hydrate to drink fluids during them and practice your race, nutrition, foods, fluid and sodium strategy in your long runs and do it more than once and do it over and over and over and over again until it's dialed until you are confident that it works. So those are the two key things I think I've seen with whatever level you're at, recreational to elite athlete that will will. Have the biggest influence on your performance and alleviating, reducing gut issues, fueling your training sessions with carbohydrate and hydrating and practicing your race, nutrition, foods, fluid and sodium strategy. So you have it dialed. Once you've done it once or once you've done it once in the sense you've got it dialed, you then take that on to the next race and the next race and the next race. And we can expand the variety. You can choose different flavour options, but you know what works. and You know how much you can consume and take on board per hour. Um, And that's the, the... the biggest game changer I think and then other specific gut training strategies if you are someone really struggling with stomach issues um, or really trying to increase your tolerance to be able to take on board more carbohydrate per hour or drink more volume of fluid per hour there's a specific one to enhance fluid tolerance by practicing drinking during training. So for example, if you're someone that um, I've been working with an elite runner, and um, she found it difficult to consume 750 mils of fluid per hour that we were targeting for her in hot environments, but she felt uncomfortable, bloated, just really couldn't manage to get um, that 750 down, drinking on average 500 mil, but you know, to really help with her um, performance in the heat, we're just trying to increase her fluid intake. So the idea behind practicing drinking during training, increasing fluid tolerance to relieve that discomfort, or at least get used to that feeling of discomfort is that whatever volume you're trying to work towards to consuming, whether it's 500, 750 or a a, a litre per hour, you divide that by six So 750 divided by six is 125 mil. So we got this athlete to drink 125 mil of water every 10 minutes within an hour training session. But the goal was to drink that within a minute. So the first minute of the first 10 minutes, drink 125 mil within a minute and then do that every 10 minutes in an hour. And the research has shown that by doing that and practicing that specific type of strategy within a 60 minute training session if you do that six times a minimum of six times that um, will help to help you to increase your tolerance and level of comfort of having that volume of fluid in your stomach that I'm not encouraging hyperhydration or over drinking on water. Obviously, we supplement that with sodium as required. That can be a volume of a sports drink. But when we have increasing temperatures um, and or people aren't drinking enough through the race, which causes DNF or slower times or fatigue or poorer performance, then that's an ideal strategy to help you to drink more to your specific needs to offset significant dehydration in the race.
0: That makes oh, that makes total sense. Sorry, no, no, down? I was fine. Okay. I was
1: going to go on to the next one, but yeah, that you know that's one um, that does make sense for fluid. And often I think we drop the balls a little bit with fluid and sodium um, because there's not necessary specific clear information out there for what people. Um, could be doing or should be doing or how to determine our own unique fluid loss and sodium requirements that I can uh, you know happily talk about as well but um, yeah that's one of the the, one of the gut training strategies that's not linked to carbohydrate but certainly linked to fluid intake
0: yeah so I think that's um, we'll get into that super soon Um, but what are the most common GI issues that you see in athletes because I think like that's, I I would love to know the specific numbers. I'm sure you know them of how many athletes drop out just from cited GI issues.
1: Yeah, so with the research we're seeing up to 85% of DNFs in races is due to GI issues. Um, but we're also seeing that, you know, stomach issues impact runners that don't finish so even those runners that are finishing are still experiencing stomach issues so again the most common issues gi issues are nausea nausea and vomiting are the ones that i often spend my time talking people through trying to problem solve the reason why it's happening stomach bloating pain cramps sudden urgency to go to the toilet those all tend to be the ones that come up the most and again in um the research what it's showing that around 40 to 90 percent of runners participating in races of like 70 kilometers to 160 kilometers so with increasing distance we're seeing an increase in um, participants reporting stomach issues and that's regardless of whether they finish or not so the longer the race the greater occurrence of stomach issues basically so it's a challenge but i I still believe that because potentially people aren't necessarily practicing their race nutrition strategy potentially carrying out gut training strategies and I'll talk about the carbohydrate ones as well but that's the biggest issue fuel your training plan and practice your race nutrition strategy and I would dare to say seven eight times out of ten if you don't necessarily have stomach issues related to -to day-to-day then you can alleviate or prevent stomach issues during a race I appreciate the physiological response and the impact of the um, the running over time will also have a, a response on the gut that then lends it to kind of be poor absorption, trauma to the gut, all of those things that influence our stomach. But we can get used to um, consuming carbohydrate and fluid. And we're seeing it with all of these elite runners, they're getting faster, um, and they're consuming more carbohydrate.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And actually i i'm super curious i mean how do you feel about the fact that like i think it's almost just accepted like oh vomiting in ultras is just is what it is like how do you feel about that uh sentiment
1: like again i've I've had another runner who, who's vomited a couple of times and he's like yeah no i'm fine i just vomit and i can just carry on running and like it's, if it's not necessarily it's difficult because you know there's so many influences on you know lack of sleep um you know just just how your stomach rolls for that race you know it's it's, it can be quite unpredictable but you can problem solve and work back and put the pieces together as why that might occurred in that race and then the next time put in strategies to potentially prevent that from happening again but yeah you You do hear people just going, oh, yeah, that's just what happens to me in a race. And I'd be like, well, it doesn't have to happen. And um, you don't need to suffer through these races to complete them if you can kind of work on the reasons why and potentially try and put in strategies around that, whether it's sleep, whether it's hydration, whether it's nutrition, whether it's pace, all of those things. It's cooling strategies, all of those things that can help really prevent Um, an occurrence of nausea and vomiting happening, then let's do it. Um, We don't have to suffer through them. You know, they're tough enough as it is.
0: Yeah. No, I think that maybe we should really move away from the fact of like oh it's just an ultra you just throw up that's what happens because i especially i mean i started back in 2015 and i feel like it was like oh if you haven't thrown up you have not really run an ultra it's like oh, maybe we don't <laughs> maybe we don't need to do that
1: yeah so some of the carbohydrate gut training strategies that can potentially offset that nausea some of the reasons that i've kind of problem solved people's nausea is that potentially you know Um, trying to consume more carbohydrate in a race and not having practiced that amount or you know a change in pace um, and then trying to take on board carbohydrate at the same time so running faster um, and causing nausea maybe not hydrating enough or drinking enough fluid along with the carbohydrate per hour so lots of different reasons as to why the nausea can happen um, nutritionally and obviously you can problem solve around that from non-nutritional factors but some of the carbohydrate gut training strategies are um some of the simpler ones or the straightforward ones are just simply adopting a higher carbohydrate diet for the couple of weeks before your race which is ideal in terms of carb loading eating carbohydrate you're going to be fueling your training and recovering well um, and we've they've we've seen in the research that, that just by simply adding more carbohydrate into your diet in the two weeks um, for two weeks can help us really get used to um, eating and tolerating greater amounts of carbohydrate. You don't necessarily do that for the two weeks before, but we've seen that eating carb, increasing carbohydrate in the diet, um, increases our tolerance, um, just within two weeks Um, and then yeah so looking at carbohydrate uh, intakes and maybe slightly increasing them as well Uh, like i said fueling training with all training sessions of carbohydrates could be a helpful strategy and then the other more there's some more aggressive strategies like eating a meal and then going for a run so having your breakfast and then within five or ten minutes you're out the door obviously you might want to control your intensity because you don't definitely don't want to see your breakfast 10 15 minutes later but that strategy is about you're actually literally running with food still in your stomach. So your body's getting used to moving while it's still trying to digest. Um, and then another more aggressive strategy is practicing eating um, carbohydrate regularly within an hour's training session. So in naught minutes before you go out the door, you'd consume 30 grams of carbohydrate, so a gel typically. So at naught, one gel. At 20, another gel. At 40, another gel. Obviously, hydrating around that um, as required Um, and that helps aids tolerance of taking on board carbohydrate and helps us to get used to taking on board more carbohydrate per hour I've used those strategies but not very often and by the time people have fueled their training appropriately and you've had them practice in their race nutrition strategy often you don't need to do those strategies but they can be helpful if someone wants to push their carbohydrate intake say from 60 to 90 or wants to practice 90 to 120 um so yeah and then obviously you've got your b races try and enter some b races everybody seems to want to run their a race at every race so try and you know book in some less less I, i i just book some races where you are willing to go and test out your nutrition strategy and you're not necessarily um tied to your um your finished time. So yeah, try to go and do some races and enjoy them um, as a goal towards your um, nailing your A-race.
0: Totally. Yeah, I think that's so key. I mean, I maybe unintentionally do a lot of just like eating and then going right out the door. Right. Because I've (laughs) always, I mean, it's funny, I had someone when I first started Really getting into ultras, being like, wait, don't you need to wait now, or like, you're isn't, aren't you going to feel bad? And I was like, I have eaten pizza, literally, like had a piece of pizza in my hand as I was running out of an aid station. Like that's what I do. <laughs> and <laughs> so I'm really glad to hear it. It's like I was really just practicing. Yeah, faster like, race nutrition. Yeah, I'm like, cause we have to do it in races, so no, I cannot wait until my stomach is like, oh, I feel fine right now. Yeah. Thank you for waiting.
1: It's- it's definitely on a individual case by case basis. These are these kind of aren't, um, you know, one one foot or one size fits all strategies. You know, with if I was working, say, with you and we were problem solving your nutrition or trying to to encourage you to fuel more, you know, you'd pick the most relevant strategies and then potentially build up to those more aggressive, um, what I call aggressive. Um, gut training strategy so that you're not making someone vomit every time they go out for a run um, it's not that's not fun either um, for a training run. the other thing the other thing that would be good to do is if you're if you kind of are comfortable with practicing your race nutrition strategy in training don't just pick your long training runs choose um, higher intensity sessions hill sessions um those kind of things or sessions where you're you're running faster you know trying to kind of mimic um, similar conditions of your race so that you're not um, you're not just fueling during those lower intensities you know if you've got an ascent um, or a descent um, or if there's a rocky technical section you're going to have to fuel with then you know it's trying to replicate that in training and it could be that that's only a 60 minute session you do that will fuel that training session whether you feel like you need to or not if you want to practice your race nutrition strategy and be confident that you can fuel and be okay in those sections and that's the time to do it as well
0: absolutely yeah i've heard before people say like oh i only fuel on the downhill or i only fuel on the flat it's like well in the alps sometimes you're going up for four to five hours so you really have, like you yeah. have to know how to fuel across the board. And also just the the practical logistics of like, hey, how do you take this out with your poles on? How do you manage yourself? Because I think people, sometimes they'll just be like, oh, I'm going to add in poles on race day. I'm going to eat something every 30 minutes. I'm going to have my pack on. You're like, wait, but you've never practiced all of that. So how do you put your pole away so you can get something out? How do you load your pack so that you have what you need accessible and that's something like i always write into the notes of my athletes of like hey practice gear and nutrition and i start that really early on just so it's in their head of like hey this isn't something we just do on race day or we do the training run before um and so i just think knowing the mechanics of what you're doing so we can get to race day and you're like cool i don't even think about it
1: yeah i love that and that yeah, it's so key because it's all it's you know it is the practical aspect of your race that then you're going to want to turn up um, and be sure of both the mechanics as you say and also your nutrition strategy and what you're going to eat and then so part of that you can walk yourself through the course in terms of just looking at the the course topo or if you have the opportunity go and do recce or at least simulate conditions of that race set up aid stations you know Faff around with your kit, get used to trying to take it out from behind you or tucked into pockets so that you can do it or learn to do it efficiently over time, like you say, with poles and how you're going to all of that. Um, And again, if If you are well practiced in all of that and well rehearsed, it takes a lot of the decision making away when you do the race and it boosts your confidence in your ability and your performance. You feel ready. You feel like I've done as much as I can. I know what I'm doing. And if you have a plan, um, it might not all go to plan, but it's going to stand you in much better stead than kind of just turning up and maybe hoping for the best or turning up thinking it just it will just all fall into place or happen.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I like to think of it as like, I'm idiot proofing myself because I know that I will later on in a race, just, you're just not thinking as clearly. And so like I set a timer for when I need to eat. And so I watch beeps at me and gives me a little milkshake symbol. That's like nutrition alert. Every, for me, I try to eat every 40 minutes, which should probably be increased. Um, but I think just the more that it's, like I think sometimes, and this is so interesting. Wow, tangent. Then we'll get back to this. Um, is that there is such an emotional attachment to food in this this element of enjoying food, and I think in many ways in racing we have to move away a little bit from food as an emotional source of energy. Um, it's like no, I I mean yes, obviously you don't want to hate what you're eating, but it's also like it is. I had someone say like food is medicine towards the end of a race and you take your medicine and that's what allows you to continue forward. And um, I also had a pacer once say to me, like, this is your job. Your job is to eat this and you can have a nice, fun, tasty meal after your race. But this is what you do right now. And I think sometimes we get really emotionally attached to like it doesn't taste as good or I feel I'm like sad right now or something. And so I think just like it's just taking some of that emotional energy out of food is is helpful
1: (laughs) i couldn't agree more And one of the messages i do give over is that um you need to get used to eating when you don't feel hungry you need to be robotic about your fueling strategy during a race it needs to be something that goes down and not necessarily something that you think oh i really fancy this or i'm gonna wait till i feel hungry till i eat or um it has to be something that you know goes down Um, that you can tolerate but not necessarily waiting until you feel hungry we need to become robotic and like you say most athletes or many athletes I've worked with set a timer on their watch through each hour of their running to remind them to eat um, and or to take on board gels and sports drink and that's often when gels and sports drinks can be more um easier because they're kind of quicker in a smaller volume to go down so you can kind of squeeze a gel and it goes down take a sip of a sports drink um, and wash it back and then kind of becomes easier to consume whereas if we're We are choosing real foods, which is absolutely fine. They take a bit more chewing, a bit more effort. So it's thinking about that process and how we feel at different points in the race. If you want to take something that's a mood booster that will give you a lift, absolutely, um, but not something to try to rely on throughout the whole race. It's eating when you don't feel hungry and becoming robotic about it
0: absolutely yeah and we're often very temperamental in racing where you're like you're packing your bag going oh that's going to make me happy and you go and you're like i was such an idiot i hate this like what am i doing so i've tried that before i'm like this will make me happy nope that made me miserable because that was the last thing i wanted to eat at that point
1: yeah and it's often um, the race experience or learning from our race experiences that can help shape you know our nutrition and fueling strategy for the next race potentially but if you can yeah walk yourself through the race again with how you feel in terms of or how your experience of how you feel if you've had previous race history of of mood and emotion and fatigue and all of those things, again, you can be savvy with what you fuel with, um, maybe take a gel or a chew that you really do like the flavour of, or, you know, mix it up, add a bit of variety, and particularly also thinking about maybe the final stages of the race when people do start to really struggle to take on board um, foods and fuels. And it is individual, so it's just a matter of thinking it through and then testing that out as best as you can in training, like... I don't feel hungry, what will go down? And whether that's liquid calories, so sports drinks, there's kind of um, drinks called like Perpetuum by Hammer. um, uh, Yeah, that kind of thing. So if you can rely on some, or, you know, you get into aid stations and there's flat Coke or there's soups or um, soups don't tend to have calories in, but it's then just trying to um, think your way through the race and kind of planning as best as you can for all eventualities.
0: Absolutely. So that leads us, I think, to another really key point um, and consideration is hydration and sodium requirements. And I think that this is can be challenging for like you hear people say, "Oh, I'm a heavy sweater or, oh, I don't really drink that much. And I think often we say those things without really too much scientific backed um, data. And so how does an athlete figure out what their hydration and sodium requirements are
1: yeah so the first step um which is relatively easy is determine how much fluid you lose per hour so what is your sweat rate per hour if you think you're a heavy sweater um, in terms of fluid loss let's find it out so what you can do is um potentially maybe we can share a link to this resource in the show notes but also if you google um sweat loss equation there's a simple to carry out fluid loss equation that you can do to help you determine how much fluid you lose per hour so what are your sweat rates per hour and it's a simple process of choosing a one to two hour session hour session um, and standing on the scales before the training session after the training session and then taking into account the fluid that you drank and it gives you it's a nice neat little equation that then will give you your approximate um Fluid loss per hour, and that gives you a guideline as to how much to drink per hour. You don't necessarily or won't necessarily be able to replenish all of that. Some people are losing a litre and a half um, per hour. The practicalities of doing that in race, especially if aid stations are far apart, is difficult, or carrying that amount is difficult. But at least then you have some idea of how much to drink to go towards offsetting significant dehydration. So it gives you an idea of how much fluid you're losing per hour. and if you're doing it in training, it can help give you an idea of then how much to rehydrate after to restore hydration. So that's great. You can work out how much fluid you lose per hour, which gives you your sweat rate per hour. You can do it um, in different temperatures, so you can do it in the cold, you can do it in the heat, you can do it at night, um, you can do it um, in an easy session, you can do it in an interval session. So that will also give you guidance as potentially how your sweat rate will change throughout a race. So then you have you are better equipped with how much you need to be drinking within your race. Like I said, you don't you won't necessarily replace the full amount, um, but it go gives you an idea to go towards some way. Are you meeting that at the moment, um, or it? Can can help give you a specific round of, right, I need to drink um, this amount per hour and then change to this amount if it gets hot or if it's cold and running through the night, I need to reduce my intake. As a general rule of thumb, as a starting place for people, I would suggest 500 mils per hour in temperate conditions, and then 1000 mils per hour in hot conditions. That's just a starting place for people obviously it'll be less if it's cold and you're you know running in a cold environment or you're running overnight potentially it could be the same or it could be less um or up to generally most people are elite runners as well and managing a thousand mil um on average per hour in hot conditions potentially more and again that's all relevant to if you're running in the desert or if you're running in the snow or what time of year you're running in as well and obviously your own individual um sweat rates
0: Amazing. Yeah, I think that's really helpful for people just to get a sense of what is my baseline and how do I, how do I work from there? Yeah, it's
1: really helpful. And that equation, we'll we'll share it. You can do it all the time in your training sessions ideally stick to 60 minutes to two hours because after that you're probably taking on board food and carbohydrates and other influences that might um, influence the weight change um, so definitely do that it's great and it's really easy to do and um, the only thing I wanted to say is that there is a suggestion in the research to drink to thirst and I've seen some people make that suggestion um, and particularly the suggestions around drinking to thirst in the way you know kind of would be okay in and around races of sixty nine six to nine hours. But my only um my only issue with that is that if you drink to thirst, you still need a plan because you need to know where you can access fluid. You need to know how you can top up your flasks. And then if it all of a sudden gets hot and you suddenly feel really thirsty and you drink all of your fluid, where are you going to get the rest from? So it's I I'm cautious to say it, but I would certainly be hesitant to recommend to anybody to drink to thirst. I would still encourage people to get used to their own f- um, fluid losses. Obviously, being mindful, we're not encouraging people to over drink and overhydrate, but we're offsetting significant dehydration. And then that brings us on to um, sodium needs.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's another really interesting piece of it and i'd be curious a sodium needs and b how or what you recommend people take in i think salt pills are having somewhat of a resurgence um they were i felt like they were very much a thing when i first started because there was still i feel like maybe it's like 2018 19 where ultra running just all of a sudden became not this really obscure weird thing everyone did i mean it's still obscure and weird um but I'd, i'd be curious of like what your favorite electrolyte uh replacements are as well
1: yeah so this is another tricky area and not as easy to solve as the fluid loss one but um Again, in the research, some of the research is suggesting that we don't need to think about sodium, that there's enough coming from sports products. There's enough sodium um, that we eat coming from the foods that we consume during a race that might be pretty accurate and we might well do you know sports products have between 0 to 200 milligrams of sodium you know foods like a packet of crisps is 150 milligrams of sodium a handful of peanuts has around 200 250 um, milligrams of sodium so we are getting sodium from the foods and the the fueling products that we're using during a race but we still need to be having an idea of how much we're consuming so then we can adjust for the race condition so we still need a plan so i would suggest as a baseline um Potentially, you're looking at 500 milligrams of sodium per hour in temperate conditions in 500 mils of water and up to 1,000 milligrams of sodium per hour in hot conditions in a litre, in a 1,000 mils of fluid. And that isn't going to be every hour throughout the entire race, temperature changes um and everything else. But that's, again, a starting point. People often say that's high amounts, but this is... I'm seeing... um potentially anecdotally and also some people who are having sweat testing done whether that's single patch testing or whole body sweat testing that when we have a specific strategic sodium supplementation plan people are reporting improvement in how they feel they feel better in running um, and and that adding that sodium then to your water is then going to offset the risk of hyponatremia so the idea behind that isn't to open Add loads of sodium, but that's the general guidance. In warmer conditions, as you're running through the day, 500 milligrams of sodium in 500 ml of water or 500 milligrams of sodium per hour, and then a thousand milligrams of sodium in a litre of fluids or in combination with foods. Um, research shows that average sodium losses in athletes are around 200 milligrams to 2,000 milligrams. So it's again a broad range for all of us. There isn't a one size fits all approach, and I would certainly suggest that people have access to that, to have sweat testing done, but it's a little bit more difficult to go and have done. It's not as freely accessible. Um, so, yeah, so it's a, it's still a broad range and they're kind of the, the, the guidelines. But again, I would walk through the race with someone um, and look at their already existing sodium intake from the products they're already using and add in as desired. So if you're looking at kind of a sodium supplement, You know, your sports products like Tailwind, I think Two Scoops has already got 450 milligrams. Your chews like Goo or Cliff chews have got around 35 milligrams for three. Um, But if you want to kind of target specifically um, sodium so you can really understand how much you're having per hour and control for that. Things like Noon tablets are fine. They've got around 200 to 300 milligrams of sodium your salt sticks they do vary so to check but they're generally 50 milligrams of sodium so they're quite smaller volumes particularly if you're racing in warmer conditions and um, some companies um, like precision fuel and hydration they do 500 and 1000 milligrams um, of um, supplements but then you've got other companies um, like noon and salt sticks that all do smaller um, sodium intake so it's kind of your is finding out how much you're consuming already and then adding in on top of that what you need And if you add up what you're doing already, that's when things like salt sticks or noon tablets or precision fall and hydration tablets can be used in addition. And then you can work out how many do I need per hour? Um, And then it becomes easier for you to then um, calculate. But the only thing I wanna say, don't confuse salt with sodium. Um, Sometimes the sports product label will say salt content. Sometimes they'll say sodium content. You need to be looking at sodium content so, you need to convert salt to sodium. If you Google it, there's some quite good conversion like calculators that will do that for you. But for every one gram of salt is four hundred milligrams of sodium. So be mindful that salt isn't sodium and sodium, yes, yeah, salt isn't sodium. You need to convert it.
0: Well, I have learned something new because I yeah, I don't know why. yep, that's great.
1: <laughs> so thanks for that so you so like the research shows you might be getting enough from your foods and sports products already. Uh, from again, all of my experience, I don't feel it is. Um, but that's from my anecdotal experience working with athletes and athletes uh, anybody, else, athletes, people that are running ultra runs, trail run races like to have data specific numbers so that's when the additional electrolyte tablets when you look at those numbers you can go well at this time of day it's going to be hot so i need a thousand milligrams so i'll just drop in this thousand milligram electrolyte it's easy for you to then again it takes another decision making process away when you've got things that add up nicely and are nice round numbers but again everybody's different definitely do you
0: I think a little bit of the fear, and I think you hear horror stories, which I'm actually curious if it even is. Do you worry about athletes over salting? Because um, I think, I, pe-
1: like, I know that, that potentially that that no, like in okay. my in my it, my own um, professional experience, I haven't seen anyone over salt um, in terms of adding too much sodium in in my experience, people aren't adding enough. That isn't to say people are adding aren't um, are over adding. But that's when I'm saying like, look at what you're already doing. Like in terms of how much are you taking on board and look at the range of 250 milligrams, 500 milligrams and 1000 milligrams in varying temperatures. Um, because that's not, you know, it's not 1000 milligrams every hour for the entire race, because it's probably not going to be hot for the entire that hot for the entire race it might be but then it's just getting an idea of your own needs but i haven't you know people might and potentially have but i haven't seen it professionally i've seen the opposite Um, and it's just giving people the right guidance um, and information that we don't necessarily overhydrate or um use too much sodium but also the other way Um, i'm finding everything's the other way people don't eat enough carbohydrate they don't drink enough and they don't add enough sodium
0: Interesting. Yeah, I've just heard it a few times. And now I really wonder if that was what it was, or maybe it was something else. Um, So that's good to hear that it's it's generally the opposite direction.
1: Um, yeah. But it, it could be, you know, that you, if you're in races, there's bullion, you know, there's lots of products that are salty. And then, you know, depending on if we, if we ha- don't have a race nutrition strategy, there is a greater risk of potentially having too much sodium because we might forget how much we use. We might not know how much is in a salt stick or a, or a noon tablet and just keep adding them. Um, so it, there is the risk, you know, the potential that people are overusing them, but it's trying to, you know, that for me says people haven't planned and practiced their race nutrition strategy and they don't necessarily know what they need that's right for them. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So I think this is always kind of the fun question, but also might be very irritating for for a nutritionist, um, but what are maybe like your two to three most common mistakes? And I, I feel like I can probably guess. About them. Um, but what are what are some of your most common mistakes that you see? And how can we best uh,
1: resolve and po- hopefully avoid them? I mean, it is a great question. And, and I think the first one is people don't plan and practice the race nutrition strategy. They don't plan it for one or they don't practice it enough. It's not something that you, pretend you just do once or twice and then hope for the best it's something that you can practice over and over over and drill down and nail so then almost every race you turn up to you know what you're doing It, it might take it will take a conscious effort the first few times or a huge conscious effort when i work with athletes we've got spreadsheets we're testing all of these types of things for me it's good fun and i think it's a good fun for for opportunity to encourage people to fuel training and test out all these different foods but it's certainly um something people aren't doing um to start and just aren't doing enough it needs to be something you're working on all of the time um one of the other ones so plan and practice um the other one is don't remember to fuel regularly through the race um like we talked about elite runners kind of only t- potentially in the research saying 70 grams but we know we're seeing that we're seeing 90 to 95 but the other end of that is that recreational athletes are carrying 60 grams of carbohydrate but only eating 30 grams of carbohydrate so are you getting to the end of the race with a bag still full of food that you haven't eaten? Um, so really it's, it's and then that happens at the other end, like we were talking about, do you need to set an alarm on your watch to remember to eat every, you know, take that gel every half an hour, every 15 minutes, or remember to eat every half an hour or something like that. But for me, if people are forgetting to eat or aren't remembering to fuel throughout a race, that signifies to me that they haven't planned and practiced that nutrition strategy enough. I appreciate we get distracted we feel overwhelmed um within a race and you have the race nerves but again if we're well practiced and dialed in we can re- we can um potentially kind of um help us to remember better but yeah if you if it's trying to yeah the other thing is getting distracted at aid stations. so you're standing on a start line and the other common mistake is that we then change our plan at the last minute or we decide we want to you know we don't want to take this i'm going to take that instead or oh i feel like this today we get distracted at aid states options or we decide to change our hydration or fueling plan last minute um, or we use take food from the aid stations that we haven't tested before or we use the sports products provided by the race event that we haven't tested um, which then can potentially land us in all sorts of um, trouble so again it just goes back to planning and practicing your race nutrition strategy which would probably undo a lot of um, the common mistakes I see and the stomach issues that happen.
0: I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's so funny. I th- I think we often, when we get in high pressure situations across the board, we forget that we can trust ourselves and can trust what we've practiced. And we just think, oh, well, I'll just try this brand new thing that I've never eaten before. And it's like, wait a second. No, nope. You know what you're doing. Stick with it and trust that. Yeah
1: and you see it happen you're like oh my god they've got that or they're reaching for that in the a stations oh they're they're doing this and i haven't done it so you kind of feel like you've you've not done something right or you don't feel like you're prepared but yeah and and that comes with just having your race nutrition strategy done. you will stand on that start like confident that you're going to have energy confident that you're going to be able to fuel properly and confident that um it's just going to help well contribute to um, a better race experience Absolutely.
0: And sometimes that just takes a little bit of experience. I think it's why we see, Absolutely. yeah, I think it's why we see ultra runners really excelling as they get older in many ways, just because they've just like, we've all made our fair share of really silly mistakes and you just hopefully become less silly the more <laughs> races that you do and you're able to put together. And also you understand how to build your team, how to get your resources. Cause I think, you know, reaching out to people like you and saying, Hey, can you sit down with me? Having a coach, having a, a team behind you that supports you and helps you. And I think when we start out, we kind of feel like this little Island and, I think it just the more that you can build your community, the more that you can have people help you and have people on your team, um, the better that you'll set yourself up for success.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's about talking to people, learning from people, not necessarily copying people, but or having people tell you what to do in the sense without the greater understanding of you as an individual. But yeah, talking to people, learning from people and really just piecing together your own personal nutrition strategy and then testing it both in training. But then, yeah, in the race is probably when you'll learn the most about yourself and your nutrition and hydration strategy.
0: Yeah, always fun and exciting. (laughs) Well, hopefully not exciting. I should say that. Um, But is there anything else you would like to touch on before we wrap up?
1: Just um, keep it simple. Like, I think we can get um, lost down rabbit holes of kind of nutrition, strategy, supplements. um, Like I said, what other people are doing, what other people are telling us to do or to try. Um, But really keep it simple. Um, The biggest difference um, runners can make is to have that um, plan to fuel with carbohydrate per hour what is your liquid um, and hydration intake per hour, and sodium intake per hour, and start there, um, and just practice, practice, practice until it's dialed. Um, and even when I work with elite athletes, that's where the biggest gains um, and performance benefits can be made. Trying not just keep it simple, and then when you've got, then when you've done that, then you can start to think about other things. Um, yes, we haven't talked about caffeine strategies and supplements that may be influential um, for your ultra running. Um, race. I'm not ruling those out, but I'm trying to focus on what we were saying is the basics and helping people do this right, because this is where the biggest gains will be made.
0: I mean, there's so many, uh, so many interesting points within that, because I think so often we jump to like, oh, what's the shiny, fancy thing that can fix all of my other issues and that point zero zero one percent gain and you're like no we still have a whole lot of foundation that we can fix before we add on that shiny shimmery fun thing um but nutrition
1: doesn't stand on its own does it like nutrition doesn't stand alone you're looking at training you're looking at sleep like day to day you're looking at training you're looking at sleep you're looking at mindset along with nutrition and it's the same with a race it, you know nutrition will contribute to the success um of your race but that's not without effort of training and looking at um the performance gains or the strengths that can be made from your training or can you get better night's sleep or can you manage stress can you um you know how's your mindset influencing all of it so it's part of um a whole picture and rather than just zooming in thinking oh this supplement's gonna make me do this or this supplement's gonna make me do that i'm like no no let's zoom out um tick all of those boxes and then we can maybe zoom back in and zoom in and use them when we know they're going to have um the benefit that they're suggesting that they do
0: absolutely yeah it's um there's probably not going to be one supplement that will take you from DNFing a race to finishing it. We'll say that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know it'd be amazing if it would, wouldn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, right. um, that I, I, yeah, no, I wouldn't, um, wouldn't hedge any bets on it anyway.
0: Agreed. And I think that that sets it up for, hopefully, I think we're going to be putting together a longer nutrition series that we can really dive into caffeine, into more of the, the nitty gritty and the specifics for the everyday, the race strategy, because I think this was really more focused around, you know, how you prepare that race strategy for trail running. So we have a lot to cover in the future. Yeah,
1: loads to chat about, which is exciting. Yeah, loads of really cool tips. I think we make nutrition difficult or there's so much nutrition information out there. You know, people are struggling to understand what's right for them. Um, so it's really helping. I hope with the podcast we can really help people, give people those easy to put into practice nutrition strategies and really help um make sense of nutrition, basically for whatever your sport or discipline or training session or lifestyle goal.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. This has been amazing. And I think especially as we're really headed into the the fall racing season, which I, every single time I look at the night, I have the next five years of my life planned out because most all of the races I want to do happen exactly exactly the same time in the fall. Um so I think this will be really helpful for people as uh they head into a really big uh race uh part of the year.
1: Yeah, no. Thanks for having me. Like, but just as just on that, like um this race training, nutrition strategies is all year round. Like it, you know, it's not necessary I know um we're not suggesting that but this is for you know you can use this and i would encourage people to do this all year round not just in the run-up to race season or during race season it just happens to be it's on point to talk about it because everybody's heading in with into the thick of race season for everybody so i hope there's still some tips people can can use for their next race
0: oh absolutely no i think this will be really relevant so thank you for listening to the uphill athlete podcast if you can rate review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That's really helpful to us and hopefully gets us uh, helping the people that we can. So it's not just one, but a community. We are Uphill athletes.